You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell, I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins here on the board as well. And Mike, unless you are a New York Jets fan, this is probably the most exciting time of the year because it's pure potential NFL draft season. And this player or players that your team takes across the league, uh, you're hoping that they're going to be the building blocks of your franchise for the next decade. Well, I think so much will be focused on Thursday night with the Colts probably at what? 11.15 at night. If we're lucky. I on hope. who they take at 26. And if Chris Ballard wants to be real nasty, he can trade out and leave <laughs> us sitting there and pick up another second or third round pick. But it, it's so much more about what can you do top to bottom. You know, they, they get quality, quality players in the first and second round yesterday or last year with Nelson and Leonard and, and Braden Smith and on and on. But to have a real quality draft and set yourself up for the future, you're looking at Antoine Bethea, you're looking at Cato June and Robert Mathis and and Jake Scott and people like that later in the round. So it's interesting, so much focus on round one, but to, to get your roster where it needs to be, especially when you want to build so much through the draft that they want to do, you have to hit all up and down, and you can't miss in the round one. And, and you've said it in the past, when you, when you miss that first round pick, it leaves you chasing for several drafts to come in your first or your second round pick in the next draft, you have to go to the same position. Maybe the next draft you have to, and that sets your franchise back further, certainly, than just the one year when you miss that first round pick. Well, we, we talked the, the importance of quarterbacks. Tennessee has chased a quarterback. Remember Jake Locker? I do. And, and you go back to, to, to Jackson with Blaine Gabbard and, and, and on and on and on, and, and you miss with Blake Bortles. It, it sets you back five years, eight years. Players who are, who are emerging – are sort of wasted in their, in their better years. And with the Colts, we've talked about this ad nauseum. They're looking for a pass rusher. Well, it's because going back to the Bill Pullian years, you miss on Jerry Hughes, who worked in Buffalo, has worked in Buffalo, didn't work here. Bjorn Werner, Jonathan Newsom, Terrell Basham more, more recently. When you're chasing mistakes, I remember talking to Peyton Manning after they took Tony Hugo, whatever year that was in nine or 10. I don't remember off the top of my head. But he said that it, no, it's, it's it's after they took uh, Anthony Costanzo in 2011, and he said that was supposed to be our wide receiver to replace Reggie Wayne. Mm-hmm. Well, you missed on Tony Hugo a few years earlier, so chasing mistakes, you're 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 looking for the pass rusher, you're looking for the tackle, when you should be looking for something else. It's it's it, 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 it sets you back. And the Colts to this point, you know, you, you, you chase the, the pass rusher, you get Justin Houston. You had to. But chasing mistakes is awful in the NFL. And we'll get deeper into the NFL draft as we continue on. First of all, some uh, newsworthy items of the past week. The Colts have uh, Evan Bame has signed his tender with the Colts. The uh, center last year started four games in place of an injured Ryan Kelly. One year, $2 million or so. Didn't get any interest beyond that or better than that and certainly signed his tender, which is what we all expected. He turns 26 in August, still a young guy, a backup for the interior line for the foreseeable future. Another interesting point uh, was the trade in the NFL for defensive end Frank Clark. Seattle ships Clark to the Chiefs for the 29th overall pick this year, a second round pick next year, and the two teams swapped their third round picks here in this year's draft, 2019. Frank Clark, a heck of a young player, 33 sacks over the past three seasons, 
had um, 14 sacks, a career high last year. He was franchised by Seattle. They got a deal done with uh, with the Chiefs. Five years, $100 million. Um, but that also brings up the question, Mike, would the Colts should the Colts have been a little bit more uh, more eager to make a similar deal to this? Because you get a guy like Frank Clark and Justin Houston, they're both pretty good pass rushers, but Houston's the guy in his 30s. Frank Clark's the guy who's turning 26 who could be filling that void for years to come. Yeah, we say these guys are never available. This is two years in a row they've had, we've had elite pass rushers uh, with Khalil Mack and, and now Frank Clark available. I'd really like to know the Colts' level of interest. Did they just sort of kick the tires? Uh, the, the two things that jump out at you, obviously, is it, it took a first and second round pick to get him, mm-hmm. and then $63 million guaranteed. But but that's the going. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna invest in that guy, the Colts are not in a position, and you would hope they're not going to be in a position to, to draft top ten, top five is where you get these guys. So the only way to hit on that singular pass rusher is to find Robert Mathis again, which happens once every twenty years. I don't know, <laughs> rarely. Or you mortgage to get this done. I I could see the Colts maybe going sixty three million guaranteed. For this guy, who's 26, mm-hmm. one of the two, I it would have taken a gun to Chris Ballard's head to say, "I'm going to do it." And then you've got the baggage that he brings. He's he's got the the domestic violence, the assault thing, and I I just believe that while teams have a team's tolerance for a guy's indiscretion rises with the player's talent. It's no just doubt. it's just the way it is. Lawrence Phillips was the first round draft pick. But I really think the Colts have got have a line in the sand on what they're going to tolerate, and I just think at the end of the day, this is something they're not going to tolerate. But we'll see moving forward. But I just the overall package and investment was too much. And Chris Ballard talked quite at length about about that topic, as GMs do across the NFL to every fan base, to every media group assembled um, going into the draft. Is what what's the What's the balance there between talent and baggage that it brings in? And you're going to get a different answer probably from all teams, but uh, but Ballard, like I said, talked a lot about it. He says there are certainly good players with great character who make mistakes, but there are also good players. Well, this is this is me saying it. Ballard said the first part, so I'll I'll fill in the blanks. There are also good players with bad character who can slide through. So it's the scout's job. This is back to Ballard. Uh, scout's job is to find out what these guys are like as human beings. It's the job of an NFL scout is is so much more than just determining uh, what this guy can project to at the next level. It's finding out who he is. It's finding out who his family is. It's finding out what his influences are. Finding out what people he hangs around with. Find people that he doesn't hang around with. It, it, it's a very very uh, it, it's it's the hardest job interview you'll ever have because it's the biggest background check that you're probably going to ever have in your life. Yeah, the four, timing a guy in the 40 or his vertical jump, that's easy. Yes. But what makes him tick, and the problem you run into if you're not really careful or diligent, is you're talking to people who are this guy's friends and supporters. I'm, I'm guessing one of the worst people to talk to about a player is his coach <laughs> and his mom. Mm-hmm. What mom, Mama's going to trash her son. If that happens, then you know you have. Well, then, then you then, then then you walk away. Say thanks, thanks a lot, mom. Th- thanks for the sandwich. We'll see you. But that that's the hardest thing, and and I think even more even more 
past that is what you have to decide is, did this player, whoever it is, make a mistake when he was 20 or 21? Or even younger at good, 17, 18. Good, goodness knows if we were all held to what we did when we were 17 or 18, where we might be. Or is this a pattern? And, and that's got to be difficult to do. It, it, I'm all for giving a guy a second chance, I, I guess depending on what the first indiscretion was. Remember Steve Howe, the baseball pitcher, eight or nine chances. I mean, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's can you take a chance on a guy and you're convinced as much as you can be that this was a one-time slip-up? If you think there's a, a, a some kind of a chance of a, of a second or third fall, then you walk away. You have to. And Chris Ballard is the type of man that will draw a line and say, this is what our standard is going to be and we're not going to cross it. Well, one quote that he had in particular is saying, you have to stay consistent because uh, the first time you think, oh man, we're this close, we're this close to being a good team, we're this close, man, let's jo- just go take a bite of the apple, well, then it burns you. So we're pretty strict on what and, gets and, 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 we're, and we're projecting. Maybe, maybe that's what they thought with uh, with Clark. Hey, th- th- this, is, uh, this is the missing piece of our defense, but mm-hmm. we just can't take that step. And, and again, maybe a team's... Uh, when it comes to character, because because he did mention, you know, yet what they do with with all their prospects, you filter out who doesn't fit. He talked schematically, he talked athletically, and he talked character wise. And I think it, again, you have to your your franchise have has to have some standard of what you're willing to deal with. You know, it maybe maybe drug issues, marijuana is one issue, and domestic violence. You you. I'm not saying a zero tolerance, but when you start hedging on your your your, your standards of what you can accept, it's a slippery slope. And again, that it comes back into if you've got a four-time Pro Bowl player, are you more willing to look past what he might have done? If you do that, then, then what do you stand for? One more bit of news around the league, and that is Marshawn Lynch retired, announced another retirement. He's retired from the Raiders this time. 12 seasons in the league, more than 10,000 rushing yards. 93 total touchdowns, won the Super Bowl once. Um, Mike, I, I'll ask you, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? And I'll preface that with, I, I know you think Edger and James deserve a spot before he does. Oh, there's a bunch of players. Uh, no, mm-hmm. he's not a Hall of Famer. He, he he belongs in the Hall of the Very Good. Definitely very he good. Believes in the, he b- belongs in the Hall of the, my goodness, did you see that highlight run? Did you the, see that earthquake? Right. There, there's There's so many players, and not just running backs, that are very, very, very good. But they're not great, and I, I wouldn't put him in Edwin James as you know, he's tw- uh, Lynch is 29th all time rushing. Yeah, 29th. So no, but but the, I don't want to diminish his career. But to say the the problem with with the media nowadays is when a player retires, oh he's a Hall of Famer. We had just back with, with the Colts in the 2000s. It was Bob Sanders and Dallas Clark and yada yada yada. You can be a very very good player and not a Hall of Famer, and that's not a shame. But I, I hope there's not a lot of push to get Marshawn Lynch in the Hall of Fame because the numbers aren't there. The, the the body of work is not there. As he might say, uh, thanks for asking. Correct. Uh-huh. So I, I guess like some players in the NBA, Russell Westbrook, next question. Jeez. Let, let's not talk about that. <laughs> uh, latest draft rumors now for the Colts. We'll, go to, we'll shift focus to the NFL draft that begins Thursday night in Nashville. Not too far from Indy if you're going to take the drive down there. But uh, latest draft rumors for the Colts. Um, some uh, indicate the Colts are quite interested, quote, 
quite interested in Alabama running back Josh Jacobs, who's rumored to go between picks 24 and 27, according to Peter King of NBC Sports, Monday morning quarterback. The Colts did host Jacobs um, among all the other veteran running backs they were looking at as well. So that kind of fits the pattern that, hey, you're looking at running backs and Josh Jacobs might be the best running back in this draft, Mike. So that's one. A ton of buzz, according to Connor Roger of Bleacher Report, around Colts taking Mississippi State defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons at 26. Simmons, uh, Joe, if I'm not mistaken, he's the guy who was who hurt tore his ACL and wouldn't be back until at least the middle of this year, if not missed this entire first year at all, right? Yeah, he had the torn ACL um, while working out in February, and then he also had, you know, the video come out um, of him punching the woman, breaking up a family fight. That was um, back when he was in high school. High school, yes. and since clean record, he actually won, I believe, the Newman Award at uh, Mississippi State for best performance on the field, in the classroom, and in the community. So it looks like the young man has turned things around since that moment. Again, that could be an example. That, that like, could, that could yeah. be the, the, the one slip. And you, you don't want to say hey, it was just once. Right. It was still domestic violence. Yes. You don't want to diminish that. But but if if it was a one-time thing, you you, you have to have a, the ability to give a guy a second chance. Now to our own Joe Hopkins mock draft. Joe uh really dove headfirst into the draft and went uh, pick by pick down in the first round. Um, inserting his name with the likes of Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, Peter King, now Joe wouldn't Hopkins. You like, wouldn't you like to hear Bill Tobin say, who the hell is Joe Hopkins? <laughs> That's when you know you've made it, yeah, Joe. Once, once I'm on the NFL GM's radar. Well, hey, why don't you, why don't you tell us uh, how, you, how you did your mock draft, what your kind of um, thought process was going through it, and then what you got when it came to the Colts at 26 which by the way this mock draft you can go online fox59.com cbs4indy.com head over to the sports page check it out and joe gives you a little bit of a blurb on each player that he drafts too but uh but joe can you give us just the, the brief version of how you went into this and uh, and what you got for the colts there at 26 yeah so with each pick i kind of go through and you know based on things that you know I, I do my research and i see who what players have been tied to these teams, who they've worked out, their positions of need. And then I just kind of put myself in the GM spot for each team and, you know, weigh needs against best player available. And it kind of went down the line here. Lots of defensive linemen went early, especially those edge rushers. Not really surprising premium position. Um, But one of the best players in the draft, uh, at least along that defensive line, Christian Wilkins, happened to be sitting around there for the Colts at 26. It was really difficult for me to have the Colts take him over Jonathan Abram. But just hearing over and over how Chris Ballard really values that defensive line and wants to make that a strength of the team kind of gave the slight edge to Wilkins, especially considering that the Colts will probably be able to get a pretty darn good safety at pick number 34, whereas Wilkins, there's no way he was going to last at 34. I don't think guys like Jerry Tillery um, will be there either. So that was kind of the thought process behind the whole draft and that pick in particular. I think if Wilkins falls to the Colts at 26, they would they would love to have him there. Depends on who else is on there, if somebody else had fallen. But, but, but yeah, uh, Christian Wilkins is, is a guy who um, – is certainly a top four defensive tackle in this draft, interior lineman. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, you have Quinnen Williams, who's a top 
three pick in this draft, who is number one in both pass rush efficiency and run uh, run stuffing efficiency. Number two in both of those, according to Pro Football Focus, Christian Wilkins. So he is right there among the best players in this draft. And Mike, as we have talked before, the Colts do have their starters, certainly on the defensive interior, but depth there would help. And having somebody who's more of a disrupting force would absolutely go a long way to to improving this defense even more. I, I would argue that maybe defensive line is one of the strongest positions on the team as they sit here today. Mm-hmm. You used two early picks last year on Tyquan Lewis, who misses the first half of the season with an injury, foot injury, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you've got Kamoko Ture, and you bring back – you've got Jabal Sherrod. You you're add Justin Houston. You've got Marcus Hunt you bring back, Grover Stewart, Hassan Ridgeway. So number-wise, you're in really pretty good shape. But it's Chris Ballard has made it very clear. Offensive line, defensive line, that's where it starts. And if you can add a disruptor, not just a run defender, because they were pretty good against the run last year. Remember, they were one of three teams that didn't give up a 100-yard rusher during the season. But if you can get a run stopper and get a guy who can get you pressure inside, so I won't be the least bit. I've thought all along there are three top priorities. Defensive line, edge pass rusher, preferably, but that guy's not going to be there probably. Wide receiver in the secondary, maybe safety, so this fits perfect. Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to touch on, you know, you look at the defensive end position, which I think is stronger than defensive tackle. You got Jabal Sheard in uh, Houston, kind of the veteran starters, and then the young guys, Ture and Lewis, um, to kind of evolve behind them, whereas at defensive tackle, you have Autry and Hunt. Autry will turn... Uh, 29 in July, and then Hunt turns 32. So they're a little older, and you don't necessarily have the young guys in place to come in behind them. Um, I like Jihad Ward, his second-round pick from 2016, who had three sacks and six games for the Colts last year. But other than that, I just don't see the future at that position. So that's where I can see defensive tackle really being an area that they address. Well, the only only thing is that they, they would really prefer Lewis be an inside guy. He ended up he ended up being more outside last year. They look at him as being that three technique guy, but you can you can never have enough quality interior players. And it gives they they love to move guys around. Marcus Hunt, inside outside. Now she, you know some of these guys are where they are. Sherrod's an outside guy. Teresa's an outside guy. Justin Houston's an outside guy. They love the versatility. And again, we we talked about last year. They they did so much to help the offensive line. If, if they can get a quality quality player like this at twenty six. They'll do it and not think twice. Do you think, back to um, Taekwon Lewis, are they trying to move him in full-time to the interior, or is it more of a obvious passing down, he shifts inside so they can get the best four pass rushers on the field? If I remember correctly, they, they view him, they viewed him coming in a, a, as a three-technique kid. Okay. And they ended up putting him outside because of injuries and, and, and need, I guess. And it, he, he showed last year as a rookie that he had the versatility to do both. I think if they had their druthers, he would be inside. But uh, the way they like to put play on Sundays with six or seven guys and play a lot, uh, you can't have enough. You can't have too many quality players. And that's that's a trend in the NFL, especially on the defensive line, just because those guys are they're supposed to go all out every play. So what you want is you want eight guys there if you have if you're playing four three you want eight guys who can rotate they have four guys in then the next four bring bring in the second unit 
Just like if you're in the NBA and you need a, need a change of pace from that second group of five, bring them out, let them run the floor, and go at it. Well, and this is not a group either that's you want your tackles to hold up tackles. You're, you're moving. You're aggressive. You're up, up the field. This is this is what made like Darius Leonard's rookie season so impressive is they weren't asking the, the, the tackles aligned weren't weren't holding They're up. They're not blocks. eating up. That's not their right. job. So so they they want guys who can attack. And again, that's what Lewis. That's what Denikowatri, and that's what Wilkins can do. Joe, uh, some other players who were still on the board at 26 when you gave the Colts Wilkins. We'll run down that list. You mentioned Jonathan Abram already out of Mississippi State. Also, Byron Murphy, cornerback out of Washington. Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle out of Mississippi State, who we've mentioned already in this show. It says the Colts are a lot of, lot of buzz, according to Bleacher Report, whatever that means. Um, DeAndre Baker, cornerback out of Georgia. A.J. Brown, Ole Miss wide receiver. Jerry Tillery, Notre Dame, who Mike Chappell has mentioned on this show plenty of times about being impressed with him at the Combine. 6'6", big dude. Um, Dexter Lawrence as well, defensive tackle. Um, Taylor Rapp, who we've talked about, the safety out of Washington in this show. Um, out, out of those players, do you think there's one or two that maybe gave Wilkins a little bit of run in your mind? Um, I, I know you've mentioned Abram already as a guy who, who stood out to you. Yeah, other than Abram, I mean, Abram just fits that kind of Bob Sanders role. He's the guy who's going to play on the box, just absolutely clobber people when he meets them at the point of contact. And his skill set really... Um, Mesh as well with Hooker, who could then play more over the top and be a ball hawk. But other than Abram, I think Byron Murphy and Jeffrey Simmons are the two guys to keep an eye on. Uh, Murphy, his skill set just fits his zone defense really well. He tackles. um, His change of direction ability is outstanding. Even though he ran a 4-5-5 at the combine, the Colts in their zone defense aren't going to be asking him to, you know, just line up a man and chase a guy down the field. So that's not going to matter as much. And then Simmons, Mike, you kind of mentioned earlier in the show when we were talking about Clark, the Colts aren't going to be, or at least hope they won't be in a position to get a top five, top ten talent in the draft in the near future. So the more I think about taking Jeffrey Simmons, who could be healthy and help the Colts in a playoff run this year, um, once we get into January and December, it starts to make more sense to take a premium talent like that. And, and you could argue the defense is at the point that you could basically redshirt until December. Or or I almost think you'd have to go with, with the idea that he won't be there. And you, you'd, you would have to, in your mind, be okay with him not being there until year two. And if, you, and if he comes back in December, he's on you know IR partially, and then you put him on the active roster later. But I think you'd have to take him with the idea that he won't be anything until year two. But you're you're right. Everybody says this is a top five talent. And if you think you, your roster is good enough and you've got nine picks this year, if I'm not going to say wasted. If, if you could invest a pick in sort of having two first-round picks next year, knock yourself out. Uh, one, one of the guys that, that is on this list of, of still on the board, Dexter Lawrence, a lot of mock drafts have the Colts looking that way. I think what's interesting about this list that you've got is taking Wilkins at, at 26. As deep as this list is of people still on the board, one of those will be there at 34. Oh, yeah. A, a very, very good chance. Now, whether it's a receiver then or – I'm, I'm sort of cooling on a receiver. But a, a, a safety or a corner, if you can get address those two spots, you know, defensive line and, and, and secondary in, those, in the first 34 picks – it's, a good, it's already a good draft. I kind of think they'll go wide receiver a little later as well. Uh, 
unless someone that they didn't think was going to be there falls, I think 59 would be the earliest. And that was kind of the decision-making process that went into taking Wilkins, a defensive tackle, at 26 because, you know, there's a good chance that either Jonathan Abram, a safety like Darnell Savage, Taylor Rapp, one of those three safeties is going to be there at 34. So you can address both positions within eight picks of each other. So as we're talking here, we can we can say that, say, hey, there, there could be a safety there at 34, so you can go ahead and take a defensive tack or a defensive end, whoever it might be at 26. Chris Ballard did point out earlier this week in his press conference, he's saying the fact that we have 34 doesn't influence what we do at 26 at all. So I just want to share that at least, that Ballard said that. Whether he's telling the truth or not, eh, you never know. Um, but... Uh, but still, that's something that he said, so I wanted to bring it up. And Ballard is, has said also that, obviously, this year and last year, you're going to compare this draft to last year's because last year's draft was out of this world. You get two All-Pros. One of the best in franchise history. One of the best in NFL history, no doubt. And But he, he points out that drafting at 26 is much different than drafting at number 6. And although he doesn't see the same strength at the top of this draft as he saw in last year's, he admits that, he hasn't really dove into the top quite as much because he's not uh, not drafting up there. But what I thought that he said was interesting was between picks 11, 12, whatever, and about 70, it's a matter of flavor, what you like. He thinks there's going to be a lot of unpredictability in this draft. So there's a lot of mocks that are kind of close right now at the end of the first round. I have a feeling that there are going to be a couple curveballs in the second half of the first round of this draft, whether it's people trading up or trading back, or picks that you're like, who is this guy? But there are going to be players that are out of a lot of first rounds in a lot of mock drafts, yours included, Joe, no offense, that sneak in there somehow because teams are going to fall in love with these guys because they're the flavor that they like, and the talent somewhere between 15 and 70 is really close. So it might not be the best draft at the top of the draft this year, Mike, but it seems like there's a lot of depth in the middle, like, end of the first round, second round, start of the third round. So it could be a very tantalizing Thursday night. Yeah, when he said that he thought, you know, there may be player A that this team has ranked 17th and another team may have ranked 70th. Again, it's flavor. How do they fit? And Joe mentioned that maybe the earliest the Colts take a receiver is 59. I would almost argue that the latest I would take a receiver is at 59. I I just don't know. With the way that the, the receiver room is built, I don't know Steve Ishmael. I don't hey, my boy. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know the rationale behind adding a fifth or sixth round receiver to add to Deion Kane, Reese Fountain, uh Creshawn Hogan, uh, Marcus Johnson, Marcus Johnson, Zach Pascal. And I and I would put Chester Rogers in there. You you've got five or six or seven young guys who, who you hope to emerge. Now, I guess building on that, I would say if you think you need a receiver, you need a top-end receiver. Yeah. So whether it would be one of those first three picks, I, I just think if you, if you think you still need to address receiver, to me, it's, a, it, it's more of a long-term guy who's going to be a two or a three, not a guy that, boy, in two years with, with seasoning, because you've got so many guys that with seasoning might be Again, you've got four or five. Just again, the Hogan's and Johnsons and Ishmaels and Kane and, and and Fountain. So if you think you need receiver, to me, it's a top end guy, not a developmental guy. But we'll see if if Ballard agrees. I personally don't think 
a wide receiver at 20. I don't think there's a wide receiver in this draft that I love enough to take at 26. Ballard's indicated that as well. Yeah, especially with the defensive tackles or defensive ends or cornerbacks that might be there in this draft. So I, I, I even if even if DK Metcalf falls there, even if Hollywood Brown Doesn't falls there. Doesn't he scare you? He, he scares me to death, DK I mean, Metcalf. Not only his, his physique, yeah. but it's, it's in all many of that. Ways. It's yes. all of that. Yes. Uh, he scares me with his physique and with his uh, with his tape as well. I don't know. Jeez, oh, I don't know if he's worth it, worth it for the Colts in particular because boomer bust. I mean, I get the impression yeah. he's the guy that you, you, you're going to look back in three years and think, "What were we thinking?" Or boy, we really we hit gotcha. on it. Exactly. Exactly. So let's see. Um, what what we we've talked about areas of Colts need in the past. Wide receiver. We think. I, I think you make a great point, Mike. That if you pick just a guy. At, in the fifth or sixth round, you're just throwing you've got, them in you've with, got that. with a bunch of other guys. Right. So, so what's the point? Um, there are other other areas that we've talked about that certainly are needs, and we've addressed them just within the past couple minutes on the defensive line, in the secondary. Um, we've talked about tackle as well a little bit, offensive uh, and offensive line, offensive tackle. Sorry, yes, I got to be more specific there. And Anthony Costanzo was another topic that was broached in front of Chris Bauer just this week. Um, he says, "quote." We like Anthony Costanzo, um, and I think that's that's a very safe way uh, of addressing this. He's not. Well, he's, how much do you like him? Exactly. <laughs> that, he didn't say we love Anthony Costanzo. He didn't go into saying how important he is to the franchise. He, he, blah, he used blah, a blah. word. He he said that's an area you go year to year. Yes, year to year. That, that sort of jumped out me. at me. Yes, I agree. Um, and he said, "Will I be against taking a tackle?" No. And then you know exactly what he thinks about the offensive line. He, he can't have enough offensive linemen. So if the right offensive lineman falls to the Colts at 26, that's certainly a possibility. And among that group that could fall to the Colts at 26, it's interesting that Chris Ballard said there's a group of about eight players that he's thinking about. There's a group of eight players that they think could fall to them at 26 that they'd be interested in taking. If they're all gone, well, then they'll certainly have another plan. But a group of eight players. So that got me thinking. Who might those eight players be? And so I did a little research myself, just looking around. And uh, I think Christian Wilkins, Joe, your boy, um, is there. You're, you're not, not your uh, uh, Terry McLaurin, Scary Terry. No, maybe no. him at 59. Could be there at 59. And, uh, and that would be cool to see, uh, see Cathedral Zone come back. We actually had him in studio on Fox 59 Sports Overtime just this last week. Um, he's a remarkable young man. Very impressive guy. Um, I think he would represent whatever team takes him very well. So I, I'm, I'm on the Terry bandwagon, but probably not in the first round, probably not in that group of eight that Chris Bauer's talking about. Um, but yeah, let's see. Christian Wilkins, if he falls there, I think would be great. You mentioned Byron Murphy, the defensive back out of Washington. Um, he, I think, is a better fit than Greedy Williams. Because Absolutely. Greedy Williams, as athletic as he is and as impressive as his tape is, the question about him is tackling. And, Mike, we've talked about this before. Defensive backs in this scheme have to be able to tackle because you need to keep the guy in front of you, even if that means surrendering the five-yard pass and bringing him down before the sticks. So you want somebody who's better against a zone rather than a guy who's going to maybe take more chances in a man scheme because that, that's more what Brian Murphy, Byron Murphy excuse me, his, his talent is. And defensive backs, we've talked about it so much that – in again, in this scheme, those guys are important. You're going to need guys that can keep the ball in front of them, that can not give up the big play. And Byron Murphy could be a guy who. who and fits you need that role. four. You need four or five. Yes, in, in quality, this year's NFL, quality DB uh, corners. Yeah, 
So, and the Colts have a couple that they really like, but maybe not four or five that uh, that could play consistently. Um, and consistency is another knock on um, on Jerry Tillery, is a name that has been brought up in the show already. Defensive tackle, Notre Dame, six six disruptive guy. But again, if if there's one thing you bring up against him, it's he didn't do that all the time when he's out there. But again, if you're playing on the Colts' defensive line, you don't need to do it every single play because you're going to be in a rotation of eight. You're going to come in, you're going to go out, you're going to come in, you're going to go out. So if you can get somebody like a Jerry Tillery whose knock is consistency, you tell him to go out there for 20, 25 plays a game and give give his everything rather than saying go out there for 50, 60 plays a game and give your everything. So the fact that consistency might be the one thing that you question about him might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, he's a guy who I think his ceiling is actually higher than Wilkins. Mm-hmm. I think he can do more. He's a better athlete. But like you said, consistency, his floor is much lower. So Wilkins would be the safer pick, but if the pick is Tillery at 26, I mean, he, he Wilkins is more like a, a double or a triple where Tillery could be a home run. Or a strikeout. Or a strikeout. That's the way to go. It's one of the risks involved. When, yep. when you know a player has got you know consistency issues, why, why do you think you can resolve that at the next level? And if, he, if he's only going to play – 35 plays a game, 30 plays a game. Why, if he plays only 75% of the plays when he's playing all the time, why should you think that the 75% change will change? So it's, it's, I like the guy. I like his, what he would bring to the defense. You have to, this is why we talked about the risk involved. And you have, this is, this is where the scouts make their money. This, it's looking into the heart of a player and finding out what makes him tick. And I just don't know how you would anticipate a player who has whatever issues they are in college. To follow the guy for three or four years, why would it change when he's going to be at another another level with more money in his pocket? It, it's that That's always the most difficult phase of evaluation. Maybe another player that I think might be in that group of eight or so that Ballard thinks could fall to the Colts is offensive tackle Jonah Williams. I know a lot of people have him going a bit higher in the draft, and there's a couple of tackles after him, but if there, if he slips, if more defensive tackles go higher, if more corners or safeties go higher, and Jonah Williams slips, that might be a guy the Colts are interested in to draft and have there, just because of what Chris Ballard said about Anthony Costanzo. It, it was not a glowing, this is our guy. I, I, so there's I, probably I, one tackle in there that he's at least interested in. I asked Ballard that. I said, you know, when, when you're looking at your draft, how do you how do you plan ahead? I said, in two years, do you see Costanzo being your left tackle? And he didn't say yes. Now, he didn't say no. But, again, if he's not your left tackle of the future in two years, isn't now the time you, you plan for that? And I, I just don't think you let him play out the contract – and then either hope to get him to a short-term deal. You know, he said, he said a year at a time, you're not going to sign Costanzo to a one-year deal next year. Costanzo won't do that, barring injury or whatever. So, and another player, Joe, you can mention with that cluster of eight, uh, the Alabama running back's probably in that group. Yeah, I wanted yes, to talk to you guys about that because the Colts seem very interested in him. You even hear about the stories of him playing horse with Frank Wright. So we know, we know Frank, Frank's a better hoopster than, <laughs> than yeah. the running back is. <laughs> Jacob said um, Frank was hitting uh, you know, the short, easy shots, and he was missing those. He called it old man ball. But <laughs> old, old man ball wins horse. As, as I've pointed out just the other week, guys, 
2006 and 2009 when the Colts went to the Super Here we Bowl. Go. First round pick was a running back. First round pick both times. Just saying. Just Miami. Saying. And Super Bowl. both in Miami, the Super Bowls. Just saying. What would I'm interested to hear you guys' feelings on the Colts taking a running back with their first round pick. I mean, his skill set does give you something different than um, Marlon Mack. Um, he's more of a pounder. He can run people over, a better blocker, and a better receiver. Frank Wright mentioned wanting to be top five in rushing. Having multiple guys definitely helps you do that. But just that high in the draft, guys, how would you feel about it? Well, that high in the draft is 26. It's not like taking Edger and where they took him. I You've already you, you've invested three draft picks the last two years in running backs with Mack and Wilkins and Hines. The, I thought the fact, if they're going to add a, a running back, it might be one of those veterans they've looked at, Spencer Ware or Jay Ajayi, because you want that short-term fill-in guy for Marlon Mack. And if something happens or he needs a break, going this way, it, it, I guess it would call into question your your confidence or commitment in Marlon Mack. Uh, again, we've talked. I, I'm not even remotely ready to say Marlon Mack is injury-prone. He played through this whole shoulder injury as a rookie, and last year he misses four games, whatever it was, with a hamstring. But when he's played, he's been 75 yards a game last year. That's 13, 1,400 yards. I just have a hard time believing if if all things being equal, you've got a defensive lineman ranked close, corner safety ranked close, you'd take a running back if it's close. Because I have to think that the way they build this team, again, if, if players are ranked close, I don't, I don't know what Ballard's separation is on when he would take a player over another player. But I have to think they, they view – Running back, maybe fourth or fifth on their list of player of positions, if players are close. So, but if they think this guy's that good of a player, you take him. And you, again, you don't look back. You take him and say this, this makes our offense better. And again, it goes into a point that we've made about the wide receivers. You have a couple guys that you took in the fourth and fifth round. There, do you, do you want to throw in another fourth or fifth round running back in there? If you're, you're going to draft a running back, or do you want to draft a, a stud? Do you want to draft a bell cow? Do you want to draft a real stud? And that would be Josh Jacobs in the first round. I have him in my group of eight there as that, well. That's why, that's why I think if they, if they add a running back, it makes to me more sense to get the, the veteran guy. Yeah, to, to be to be a backup to, to Mac. Uh, and and I, I'm with you. I don't know that I would invest a fourth or fifth or sixth round pick on a guy to come in and push Wilkins. What you would want to do is get something better than Wilkins. I guess he was very very good last year, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. Much more than it. It, it. it sounds like a terrible uh, attack on his, what he did, but it, it wouldn't be that difficult to get better than Wilkins. I think what you've got with Mack and, and Hines is really good. But but who if if Mack goes down again, who who carries the, the weight for two or three games? We saw last year when 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 Mack was out that they didn't really have the running game really struggled without Mack. Now it was also because Costanza was out. But I, I just I would be surprised, not shocked, but surprised if they go running back in the first round. A couple more players on the defensive line that I had in my group of eight are both Clemson, along with Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell, and Dexter Lawrence, two guys that could be taken by the Colts, both impressive on the defensive line. That Clemson defensive line was just disgusting last year. Insane. It's funny. People said, well, they were so good because they had so many good players, so it made other those players better. 
No, they were all studs. Exactly. Yeah. Just look at what each of them was able to do by themselves. But that that's seven players that I had there. There's Tillery, Murphy, Christian Wilkins, Jonah Williams, Josh Jacobs, Cleland Farrell, Dexter Lawrence. Um, a couple couple names that I just wasn't sure whether to put in the group the put in the eighth spot. There's Jeffrey Simmons, which we've talked about uh, out of Mississippi State. Jonathan Abram, safety. I, I selfishly would love would love to see Jonathan Abram. Just because, like I said, I've been growing up in Philadelphia and watching Brian Dawkins my entire life. I really appreciate the play of safeties, and I know that the impact I know the impact they can have on an entire defense. So I would love to see Malik Hooker and Abrams paired together. And Joe, you um, you gave us a great note here in in our prep that out of a couple different mock drafts via USA Today. Uh, via cbssports.com that Jonathan Abram might still be available to the Colts at 34. So he's a guy that could slip, quote-unquote, slip to 34, whereas more players like the defensive lineman out of Clemson, I don't think they're going to go out of the first round. They're all going to be taken there. So there's an outside shot, maybe even not an outside shot. Let's call it a shot that they still get Abrams there in the second round. So I don't know if Abram would be a guy that Chris Ballard would put in his group of eight to take there at the end of the first round I just don't know yeah it it kind of depends on who you ask as far as who the best safety is and it's kind of what flavor you're looking for if you're looking for more of a cover safety and you know passing league a lot of teams are Abrams isn't necessarily your guy and the Colts have that in Malik Hooker in my opinion so he fits really well into what they already have Um, so he could be there at 34 and then there's some other good ones that are probably going to be there as well but I think as far as the value of this draft Getting a good defensive lineman while you can at 26 will be important. And then there will be, uh, you know, other high-quality players at other positions to be taken later in the draft. Sorry, go ahead, And again, when you've got to – this is the second pick of round two. It's such a quality position to be in. You're going to get, you know, whatever Arizona does – uh, with the first pick of the round, you, you've got you've got the rest of the uh, of the of the draft allotment at your disposal. So, I think there's a really good, we talked earlier. I think there's a really good chance that whatever his cluster, Ballard's cluster of eight is, you may get one from each at twenty six and thirty four, and he'd be ecstatic to do that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys about another player. You know, Dexter Lawrence. I've seen him mock to the Colts quite a bit, actually. And we talked about how in the Colts' defense, they attack. They don't hold blockers could you see the Colts going for a 340 pound nose tackle like Dexter Lawrence he'd give them something they don't have but then again they're not really asking their defensive tackles to you know take on two blockers and they want them to get up the field and split gaps heavy side my, my, my guess is no I again this this is this is not a three four where maybe you're asking that guy to be the anchor and but they're all about attacking and positions are different, but there's so much on smaller and quicker. A defensive line, you can't, you know, there's you can't get too small on the offense on the defensive line. I think they do, they want guys who are more aggressive, more attacking, more in the backfield, and I, that doesn't appear to be what, what he is. Yeah, I, I put him in this group of eight. He was maybe one of them that is the least. I'm the least confident in that is that is actually in there. Um, the word on Lawrence is he's still athletic. Is he still a force? Is he still can get in the backfield, even though he's 345 pounds? But I don't know if he can translate that 
to the next level, being as big as he is. I just don't know. Yeah, he's one of those guys, you know, you, you hope he's Haloti Nada or Vince Wilfork, but more often than not, they're Vita Veyer, Danny Shelton, Don Terry Poe, who flamed out after a good year or two. So I, I, I'd be a little surprised as well if they went with Lawrence High. One thing that Chris Ballard also said this week in his availability with the media is the goal in the draft is to get as many starters as you can, obviously, but, uh, but they can develop at different rates. Um, so as he goes into this draft, the goal is to get starters. The goal is not to get backups. Um, the goal is to pick guys who will um, not just fill a need, but keep that need filled for the foreseeable future or fill what is going to be a need in a couple of years, like we've mentioned with offensive tackle. Um, the Colts certainly have needs in this draft. We've, we've, we've talked about it for like 10 podcasts now, <laughs> for crying out loud. But um, I think with the additions of Funchess and with the addition of Houston over the past couple weeks, two of the more glaring needs, Mike, are not quite as glaring. And those are the things that can start... He mentioned that, he yes, mentioned that too. Those are the things that can make you start chasing, and that's something that maybe he doesn't have to do or the staff doesn't have to do in this draft because they went out and got those guys in free agency. I, I could argue, I think, strongly that whichever players they draft, let, let's say the, the, the three guys in the first two rounds, won't start as rookies. Where, where would you draft a guy and he's going to step in and start? I, I don't think defensive line... Of course, the defensive line is different because they use rotational. Let's say you draft a safety. Clayton Gathers is going to be your starting safety, barring anything coming up. Right, which you know we've we've he's had injury yeah. issues. So I think barring you having a guy that's just off the charts, which is this is a good thing. Your roster is in such a position that it to me it's hard it's hard to look at that roster in the depth chart and say we're going to add player A. At whatever position, defensive line, corner, safety, and, and he's and we see him as our starter. Well, last year, Quentin Nelson was your starter. There was no question about it. Darius Leonard was your starter once your season started as well. So I, I think it's a good thing to where initially who you bring in will will sort of play a backup's role. Now, quite a bit as a backup, but even if Abram comes in, Gathers is your starter. He just is. And at corner, if you bring in Murphy or somebody, uh, Pierre Desir and, and Quincy Nelson are your starters. And if you bring in a receiver in round one or round two, it, it, it's T.Y. and it's Funches. So, But th- th- this is a good thing. Two years ago, that wasn't the case. Kind of whoever you drafted, hey, they're going to be in the competition. But they're finally getting this roster into a position to where initially they're backups and, and then they, they're, they're competing – to push a guy out, whether it's a Clayton Gathers in, in after this year or offensive tackle, if you if you draft a guy and he's shows promise to, to where you don't invest so much in Costanzo, but the fact that this roster is in this position is a good thing. Uh, the the only the only positions where I could see someone come in and start right away, I could see someone starting over Quincy Wilson. If you come in, you get mm-hmm. a good cornerback possibly to take over that spot. I think you could get someone to come in and start. <sighs> This would be hard over Marlon Mack if you wanted Jonathan Abram at running back. I don't think that's going to happen, first of all. I think, Jacobs. Uh, Jacobs, excuse me. Um, I, I th- Josh Jacobs at running back. I know that. 
Um, I, I still I think if the Colts drafted him, they would want to be a backup. But if he came in and was just off the charts as your first round pick, you might have to start him there. I, I would need to know what from, from a team st- standpoint, what what bothers you about Marlon Mack? Exactly. And that's the thing. I'm not bothered at right. all by Marlon Mack. I'm trying to go. I'm trying to. The, the message it would send is we're not satisfied with Marlon Mack. I realize you're trying to get better and all that, but what didn't he give you other than fighting a hamstring? Mm-hmm. Which so that again, that's why I say I won't be shocked. I'll be a little surprised. But uh, you're, you, I, I agree with you. That that's one. But if you bring him in, Mac is your starter. The, the fact, yeah, the fact that I'm even bringing that up as a possibility just shows you that the Colts' starting lineup is in pretty good shape right now. Because I'm trying to find positions that hey, somebody could come and start in this. They drafted uh, Joe Adai in 2006, first round. Down about this far, wasn't it? I'm thinking it was about 27 or 29, right. I think. And he he started exactly zero games as a rookie. Mm-hmm. He started behind, or he, he played behind Dominic Rhodes. Yeah. And he finally started. I believe his first start was in the playoffs. So there is precedent for that. A little different because Dominic Rhodes didn't. He he wasn't Marlon Mack. It was it was not mm-hmm. it's not it's not apples and and, and apples. But uh, I I just it, it seems like. I'm not saying here, but it just seems like some people are so quick to dismiss what Marlon Mack did. I'm not saying that he's Edron James 2.0, but barring there being another injury issue, I don't know what he doesn't bring to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. Adai was taken 30th overall yeah. in that draft, but he did get 226 carries as a rookie, and I think that's something that was that, a tandem. That, that was a tandem attack with yeah. both of them. And I think that's what you'd see out of Jacobs and Mac if they did decide to take Jacobs. Is it'd be, you know, one person would technically have to start, but it'd be more of you know rotating in and out, not one feature back kind of guy, unless someone got hurt. And we know that Frank Reich wants to work that rushing game up in the NFL. Then run the ball more. Yes, he wants to run it more. He wants to run it better. He wants to get in the top five of the NFL in rushing, and they weren't there last year. They weren't there. I think I think that's too, too uh, aggressive because this is a passing offense. Mm-hmm. I understand what he's saying. But again, go back, go back and look that when once they got their team together, when Costanzo gets back and Mac got back, they averaged about 127 yards a game the rest of the season. That's pretty good. It, that, that's more than good enough as a, as a running attack. Those first five or six games really hurt what, what your final numbers were. You could technically insert a starter at the Sam linebacker position right away, there but that, that's, again, a position that, that doesn't really start that often. The Colts will start three cornerbacks. They'll start in their nickel package rather than their base 4-3. So, like, you're, you're, you're Sam's right now. You've got Zaire Franklin and Ahmad Thomas there. I mean, you can get somebody better than those two guys in this draft, and I imagine the Colts are going to take some linebackers here. Th- those are mid-round picks. Yes. Zaire was a seventh-round pick. I don't know where Tom. I think Thomas was a fifth-round pick who was let go, and then the Colts signed him. He was a safety. Well, in they, they drafted two. They drafted two linebackers after, after Darius Thomas. They drafted uh, Matthew Adams. Matthew Adams in the seventh, and Zaire Franklin and Zaire, in, the in the seventh. So, and they Zaire got, Franklin, and, right? Syracuse yeah. University. Oh, That's right. My guy. We uh, got we got you in Syracuse, and we got Chris Hagen in Mississippi State. Oh, yes. God help us. Yes, God it's help us. Interesting. All. You, you go through the scenarios, and not only what players they take, but once they're taken, how much they play and start. And if they did take a guy like Abrams, you'd kind of think Gathers would play a lot more at linebacker. It's kind of been a trend recently to take your strong safety, your biggest safety, and play him at linebacker so you can get more speed. So we could see a lot of three safeties on the field for the Colts. We did last year. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's something they already like to do. And if they spend a high pick on another one, 
um, I could see them doing it even more. Something else I wanted to ask you guys, you know, you mentioned Ballard talked about the 11th best player and the 70th best player, not a huge difference, kind of pick your flavor, and he wants to get a lot of starters out of this draft. Could you see them trading back to get more picks, especially if you think there's not that big of a talent gap between them? I absolutely think that they could trade back. And I'm sorry, Mike, if we're going to be sitting out there from 630 onward not to get if a first-round pick. he trades out of the first round, <laughs> he's on my list. <laughs> you just made the list. Uh, I think it's, it's Joe, it's a very real possibility that that happens. I could see um, it. I, I think, first of all, if one of their top choices in the first round falls to them out of this group of eight, quote-unquote, if, if maybe one of the top two or three, I don't think they're going to trade that pick down. But it's very possible they trade out of the 34 spot to get uh, one, get, get a two next year, as well as a two a little bit later this year. Um, it, it, Chris Ballard has shown in his brief time here in Indy, he's not afraid to move back. And he did has what, moved twice last year. Yeah, he did twice. Um, once uh, with obviously the first overall pick and once from the picks that he got to get. Um, Tyquan Lewis, which one? one, one it was Kamoko, Ture. Okay, he went, one one they, of the second round picks was yeah, an additional. Right. Moved back and got Kamoko, Ture, and then the pick then, turned into Jonathan. Uh, didn't Wait a second. He so moved back and think. they moved back up for Lewis. Yeah. Because I remember they got yeah, rid of that's the right. third round pick to that's get back right. into the second for him. Yeah. So they did a lot of moving in those they did. mid rounds. So I would I would not be surprised if that happens again. The, the only caveat I would mention is if you want to move up or move back to get a another third round pick or whatever, that's fine. To to, to pick up an extra five or a six or a seven. Eh. I, I think this roster is at the point to where I guess my question is, can you have too many young developmental players? They've got 17 of 19 draft picks already on the roster. And to add a couple more sixes or sevens, and and we'll see how they're going to compete, I just wonder if you can have too many young players. There has to be a limit to where enough's enough. Mm -hmm. And again, with 17 of 19 the last two years, you've got nine this year. As it stands, you're going to – have of the end drafted group, you're going to have 10 or 12 guys after the draft that you really like, and you really like a couple of them. At what point is too many and, and you d- dilute dilute the product? I'd rather stand pat it in the third round and know I'm getting this guy as opposed to trading back five spots and then picking up a sixth round pick, but that's just me. And these are all topics that I'm sure Chris Ballard has thought of extensively, not just over the last couple of weeks, as we have downloaded, as you have downloaded here with the, the Blue Zone podcast, but really since coming together last July for training camp, that is when the, uh, the poll process started, and now the process is about to be complete. He said 1,700 hours since mid-August or September. Yep. Man hours, and that's... They're in there, and they're going back and forth. And the one good thing is Ballard has not surrounded himself with yes-men. It's tell me what you think, tell me why, tell me why not, and that's what makes a successful room. Thursday, April 25th, round one begins 8 o'clock Eastern time. Teams get 10 minutes per pick. On Friday, April 22nd, we see rounds two and three beginning at 7 o'clock. Seven minutes in the second round, five minutes in the third round. And then, of course, Saturday, we continue on rounds four through seven, beginning at noon. So an intriguing couple of days coming up for NFL fans all across the country, and that certainly includes folks here in central Indiana for the Colts. Chris Ballard, a lot of big decisions to make. I'm sure he would say that 
in his head and in his scout's head, they've already made a lot of those decisions going into the draft. So you don't want to be caught off guard when you're taken on the clock. So whatever situation arises, I'm sure he plans to be ready. We will find out exactly what those situations bring, what kind of fruit they produce on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So this is the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveG underscore sports. You can follow Mike on Twitter at MChapel51. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Roto Street Joe and tell him exactly how much you love or hate his mock draft because I'm sure that, that the internet is a place for love, right? Or it's Who the hell is Joe Hopkins? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> oh, goodness. But find it online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. And, of course, download us and subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get us delivered to your inbox, to your phone, to your computer, to your whatever it might be week after week. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time when we know who the newest Colts will be. 